Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on Marketing Today, I've got Anas Ghazi, Growth Officer at Kantar. Anas and I talk about his pathway to Kantar, which uh, started at TransUnion, and his background in actually programming uh, led to data analysis there, then going to Amex, followed by joining WPP and their Data Alliance initiative, and ultimately becoming CEO of that initiative before his uh, current role as driving growth and partnerships at Kantar. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Anas Ghazi. Anas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited. Well, I, you know, we're here in Durham, so thank you for coming. No worries. And uh, we're in this nice little incubator space with these crazy companies running around. But I, we're going to talk a lot about data today with Kantar yes. and, um, and, and the Data Alliance from WPP right. in your past and, and even as a data engineer right. of yeah. some sort. Data plus. <laughs> right. gonna, yeah. But before we go there, when we last talked, you talked about wanting to pursue a career in acting. In oh, God. <laughs> so uh, 
one, I got that right, I believe. You did get that right. You and, did get that right. Uh, tell us about that. Hence my little tip of having apple juice here to help That's with right. a crisp voice. Yes. The things that you learn when you're about to get in front of camera. <laughs> so, wow, to tell you about uh, wanting to be an actor, I, I, like, honestly, I'd, I'd have to take it back to growing up in London, specifically in Wembley. And I watched lots of Esther Stallone movies. <laughs> and I'm about to date myself here. I, I remember watching Over the Top, which was that, that arm wrestling movie. Yeah, yeah I know it. I you know, know it well. and, and Rocky Five. And I remember watching those films. And even at that age, just being really taken by the character and the connection. And I remember being on Wembley High Road in front of Marks and Spencer. And I remember this clearly. <laughs> and I told my best friend Hamza, I said, Hamza, I'm, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to move to America and I'm going to become rich and famous. <laughs> and his response in true British fashion was, no one ever leaves Wembley. And that was it. <laughs> but a year later, we, we did end up moving to the US. We actually moved to Chicago. And subsequently, I was picked up by a talent agent. Oh, wow. Uh, and it wasn't because I was different looking or handsome or tall or anything <laughs> to that nature. It was just that I was what they deemed ethnically ambiguous. Mm. And that meant I could play any role. I could play Latino. I could play Iranian. I could play Indian, Pakistani. Mexican, Sardinian, you name it, I've played it. Right. Because at that time in the early 90s, specifically in Chicago, the the era was different. It was either you were black or you were white. And there was very few folks who were in between. Sweet. So yeah, so, so that's how my acting aspiration began and uh, taught me a lot. Right. Um, just, I, I remember going to meet my first agent with my mom and that was a surreal experience. <laughs> and uh, I was walking in, and I was a little shorter than I am now. Um, and it was this, her name was Colleen. She was 5'11", coiffed platinum blonde hair in a bun. And as we sat down, she was asking me questions like, do you think you're going to grow tall? Your face looks fine, but your ears are a little jutted out. So you're going to have to get them pinned back. And as I walked out, I was like, mom, I'm going to have to get new ears. Let's do it. And my mom's response was, you need to get a new agent. So it was a really interesting time. And it's actually, I love doing it. Yeah. Uh, I loved it for the experience. I wasn't a very good actor, I'll be very honest. Uh, I, I think at that point in time, I was doing it for all the wrong reasons rather than for the enlightenment, which right. acting does provide. It was more for like the fame and the fortitude that it would bring. But there's also a big piece that acting allowed me a lot of experience, which right. I'm thankful for today. That's awesome. That's awesome. Not everybody. I, I don't know that I've had any former actors on. So you're the first. I'm yeah, the it's, first. Um, yeah, it just... Uh, and I did it for a while, almost a decade and a half. Wow. Did it through high school, undergrad, grad school, even took a year off in between mm. and continued doing it. And wow. then it sort of ran its own course, but did it for a while. That's cool. That's cool. Well, let's let's talk about your business background. Where right. did you start? Oh, goodness. And that actually dovetails into the acting piece <laughs> because after grad school, uh, the first time around, I took a year off. And I decided that I was going to act. And um, the big thing I needed was health insurance. Right. So couldn't be under my parents anymore, under my mom in particular. And so I was like, all right, how do I get health insurance? So I found the job that was closest to my agent in Chicago and closest to David O'Connor casting. Mm. And that happened to be TransUnion. <laughs> and I remember the day I went for the interview and I came back. And I was wearing a suit and a tie. And my mom's like, you just don't look well. Cause, and I walked upstairs with my coat on. And I just threw my blanket over my head. And my mom's like, oh, no, you didn't get it. I was like, worse, I did. She's like, why are you upset? I was like, it's the ending of my dreams. Because now I'm going to be like this corporate stooge. And I want to be an actor. But I was just, just I'm just doing this part time. I'm really going to be an actor. So 
literally when I first began working at TransUnion during my lunch hours, in between, I was going and I was doing auditions. Wow. And I would liken it because I got hired as a data engineer. Mm -hmm. And interesting story there, when HR uh, recruited me, the first question I asked was, asked, is there any coding involved? <laughs> and the HR associate was like, no, not at all. <laughs> Day one on the job, it was COBOL. Straight up batch processing, COBOL, SAS, SingSort. Right. And I was like, this is coding. What's right. going on? So that's actually how I got my foray into TransUnion. And the big piece around being a data engineer was I had to code campaigns and models for all the banks that were doing business with uh, TransUnion. Right. And so, so it was the banks, it was the credit card agencies, uh, the credit card issuers, so Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, um, Bank of America, so I came down to Charlotte quite a bit. I was up in Delaware a lot because PNC was there, as was Barclays. And my role there was to code campaigns where they could either do what we'd call pre-screens, where they would run acquisition campaigns mm -hmm. based off of the credit reporting online network utility system, Cronus, where we'd pull data off of there wow. uh, based on specific criteria that was yeah. provided and then develop uh, uh, acquisition strategies for them. Or it was coding what we call portfolio reviews, which is where a, a, a client would give us their, their consumers and say, we want to understand how they're reacting. What types of decisions should we make? So should we increase their, uh, their, their, their credit spend limit? Should we decrease mm -hmm. based on the fluctuations that were occurring on their credit profiles? So that's what I initially started off as. And, hmm. um, and like I said, I was... Did, did not realize there'd be coding, even though I had a graduate degree in information systems and right. I did C and C++, but I literally had to reteach myself coding. Wow. Because by the time I went back into uh, into the corporate world and grad school, I had a year hiatus because I was acting mm. the whole time. I was, you know, went out to LA, did pilot season, was doing pilot season in Chicago and so forth. Right. So it was, I was completely green. And I remember calling my college roommate, uh, Sharker, saying, dude, I was like, teach me how to code. And he, was, he would like draw out these buckets of this is how coding works. And, right. But it was a lot of weekends that I would actually put in because mm. there was this competitive thing in me that I was like, I cannot fail at this. Right. So every weekend I'd go in literally, I think for about eight months, and I would just... No one else would do it, and I'd just code. I'd make my mistakes. I would print out what we call dumps, which were um, sample credit reports right. where everything is anonymized and blanked out to make sure my code was working as it should. Right. And um, started off as a data engineer and then very quickly progressed into being more on the client consultant side hmm. where, I mean, our models are, or TransUnion's models, really complex. Right. And trying to explain that to clients because we were dealing with marketing to people. Mm -hmm. So then I was really lucky that I got to lead an entire team of client service and data engineers to not only concept what these marketing campaigns would look like, right. but also how do we explain it? What is the strategy behind it? Uh, are we going to get the, the consumers that we're trying to reach out to? Are we not? Are we making the right decisions? Right. And did that during the, um, through, I'd say, the 2008, 2009 crash. Wow. Yeah. And uh, at that point in time, Washington Mutual was actually my client. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, it, it was intense because oh, yeah. overnight they evaporated. And I remember going out to Pleasanton, California. You could skateboard through their offices because overnight things just disappeared. Wow. And it was great experience in terms of I feel like in this data industry, there are very few folks who have actually touched data, mm -hmm. who have understood data, who can actually code. And so even when I think now, it's all like decision trees. I didn't realize how much of an imprint <laughs> TransUnion and coding had on right. me, but it really shaped the way I see things and do things. 
And interestingly enough, when I walk into a room, very few people realize I come from a very technical background, right. from an educational and a career perspective. Mm -hmm. And had the fortitude to do that and then lead these client teams, uh, servicing over, I'd say, like 60 different clients mm -hmm. over, I'd say, it was just a portfolio of a, a several million dollars, tens of millions, I'd say. Right. And helping these credit issuers at that point in time, especially post-2008, 2009, mm -hmm really minimize their risk, but yeah. also grow at the same time. Right, right. Well, I mean, credit bureaus, they're known, I mean, from an outsider, I've never worked inside of one, but okay. they're just known for having all the information about all of us. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, the famous, at least, I guess, recently, the Experian hack. Well, Equifax. 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 Yeah, Equifax. Yeah, sorry, Get $125, Experian. folks. Get $125. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Equifax and, and all the settlements that are going on around that. But you, you think about it, that, that's a great way to, cut your teeth, right? All, that much data. It, at your it is because it's interesting because now like you hear a lot about data, privacy and security um, at TransUnion, like where the service sat, it was literally in an oxygen tight room mm. that if ever a fire broke out, they would suck the oxygen out the room to protect the service. So TransUnion already had the mindset. I mean, literally right. fig figuratively and literally around data protection. Yes. Uh, to the point that while I was working there, uh, they were located in West Loop. We, we didn't even put our name on the building because they want to protect the building right. so that it wouldn't attract people. Like yeah. they, And at that point in time, it was a family-owned business. It was owned by the Pritzkers, and then it, it was one of then it went to PE. So mm, I've done the right. PE thing before as well. <laughs> and at that point in time, it was a billion-dollar company. Today, it's $14 billion. Wow. So the firm has always had those principles. Now it's become the buzzword, but they've already had it. Mm, interesting. Well, you moved from TransUnion to MX. What was that transition like? What was the... The impetus or the prompt, maybe? Uh, the prompt was, strangely enough, American Express was my client. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they, they were my client, and they asked me to come over to New York from Chicago. And to me, at that point, it felt like a big thing to leave Chicago mm -hmm. and go to like the number one financial yeah. market in the world was, let's do this. Right. And as a, as a boy who was born in Wembley, in London, in the city, I literally was in Chicago, lived in the suburbs. And then went out to school in DeKalb, Illinois. So like <laughs> practically by the uh, border of Iowa. Right. So I was craving a city environment. <laughs> so went to American Express and I was part of the data analytics and capabilities group. And for about four weeks, my role was to pretty much uh, oversee the relationships with the credit bureaus, mm. but also to understand what does data from a variety of sources should be coming into American Express's decisioning systems for the consumer card services group and risk information management group so that they could make better decisions for their consumers. So like I said, that was like about four weeks. And then as a strike of luck would have it, <laughs> uh, my VP at the time, she came up to me. And she's like, you have a Facebook account, right? I was like, yeah. She's like, and she was looking at me, almost guiding my question. She's like, so you want, you get digital, right? So she's nodding ahead before I could even, uh, before I could even respond. I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, I've got Facebook, I've got Twitter. She's like, great. She's like, you can lead the digital transformation for the RIM division. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I, I was like, okay. And in my head, you know, I don't know if it was naiveness or braveness or a little bit of both. In my head, I was like, it couldn't be that difficult. So right. I put together the digital transformation for uh, risk information management and consumer card services group mm. in terms of who we should partner with, why we should partner with them. And ultimately, it, it was solving the business problem that American Express ha had at the time. And mm. that was more so how do we increase our card member base? Mm. So they were looking at reaching out to folks who are non-traditional at that point in time. Right. So they wanted uh, younger consumers, mm -hmm. uh, people of diverse backgrounds and so forth. And it's 
which platforms can we connect with that would get, help us reach those audiences? Right. So put together this whole digital roadmap. And, and what worked in my favor is because I started there in what? I think it was like September, October. So I didn't really have any vacation. So I worked all through that December. <laughs> it came around January, presented it, worked out well and went on to get leadership in action award and so forth. And then my role, I had two hats now. It was, you know, lead this digital transformation for RIM and CCSG in addition to, you know, bringing in data deals through some of our, uh, through their bureaus and so forth. Hmm. And uh, I mean, at American Express, I really, they, at the time, Ken Chenault was the CEO and he's a marvel of a man in that all, all the way from him being the CEO to American Express being several thousand people everyone felt a connection to him. Hmm. And what I really learned from that experience was how he's, he was able to quickly distill information. Wow. And I even think till today, what has helped the firm, American Express in particular, is their agility. Mm -hmm. uh, information travels so quickly, they're very concise. I feel, every, I mean, the talent pool there, every person is a burgeoning C-suiter, every person. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a, And I haven't, I haven't inter interviewed anyone from American Express, so I appreciate the insider view too. That's interesting i mean and you go from a credit bureau who has all the data on everyone right. to amex who knows at the transaction level what their members are doing right um and and, and then you you flip the switch if you will to the platform side uh, and right. and digital transformation um I guess data is the common thread right it, it, it has been it, you're completely right and that's why i tell a lot of folks I know data is now like a thing. I came into the industry when data wasn't even a career. Right. And it's very true. Like the career, a lot of people have asked me, is this the career you thought you were going to have? Right. When I was in college, this career didn't even exist. Yeah. And even now, the work that we're doing at Kantar and so forth with some of our products, infusing AI and mm -hmm. so forth, the, these pieces didn't exist until a year or so back, or in right. some cases, a few months back. And I think where American Express is doing it right, and they've always been doing it right, is they've always had the foundation of data, but they're, they're an experienced company. Right. So they build stories on that data. They build experiences on that data because data is only as good as the data. Mm -hmm. It's the story that you tell. And they've done so many good things, uh, all the way from they used to have a partnership with Fashion Week to right. doing things with uh, the US Open. I yeah. mean, to, to your, your airport lounges, they get their card members, and that's why they call them card members, members. Yeah. Uh, not card holders, because they are members of a larger group mm -hmm. who they want to treat with respect and give them experiences that will help give them a better life. Right. You're, it's so true. It's so true. They, you said it much more eloquently mm -hmm. than I can, but the, the fact that they were using the data for the benefit and utility of their members yeah. um, it, it was fantastic. And everyone's trying to emulate that in some ways now. Right? Yeah, they are. And that's the thing. I think a lot of this is about speed to market, right. right? So I think these brands who have done it first, they've just made a cachet behind it. It is, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the way to, you know, their the partnership with the New York taxis mm -hmm. where you could use your credits to Leslie Berland and Twitter sync. That, that was like a big, that was actually the first uh, mm -hmm. big social media relationship that went in place. So that was like 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. They have been innovators and they've done it quickly, but they've done it in a way where it is improving the life and the experience right. of their card member base. Okay. And so you're at MX, then you end up at WPP. Oh gosh, yes. So how, <laughs> tell us about that transition and leading the data alliance eventually. Sure. So, so interesting enough, you're going to realize a theme in my life. I get inspired <laughs> a lot by television. And I literally was 
watching an episode of Mad Men. And it was the episode where uh, Don Draper was uh, pitching the idea of the carousel for Kodak. Mm -hmm. And as the pictures were flipping up and they were coming up on screen and I watched that episode and I was like, I could do that. So I called my third sister, Safina, and I was like, Safina, I think I want to get into advertising. (laughs) And my sister's like, you are a nutcase, but this is what we've learned to expect with you. Let, let, Let me see who I know who could try and connect you up. So as Khalil Gibran would say, what you seek is seeking you. So my sister connected me with someone who I met uh, and lesson in that was never turn down a meeting. So I met, met this gentleman, Jim uh, uh, Terbeck, and met with him for half an hour and nothing quite happened there. Mm. Uh, six months later, he reached out to me and he was like, I'm with a firm called WPP and they've got this group called the Data Alliance. Would you be open to, 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 to coming in? So I was like, sure, why not? And he's, he sends me this uh, literally a six-page job description, wow. <laughs> which was everything and the bathroom sink. Yeah. And a lot of times when I saw job descriptions, I would say, you know, 60% of it else I could do, 20% of it I could figure out, right. and 20% of it I'll just fudge. Right. You, you know, fig, figure it out. It's, yeah. it's all within the realm. But when I saw the job description, I was like, I've done all of this. Hmm. So I was like, I could do this. So shot me a note back, and within minutes, he said, yeah, the CEO wants to meet you. So, all right. And <laughs> went in and I met uh, the CEO who at the time was Nick Nyhan, who's currently the chief digital officer of Cantor mm-hmm. and also the chairman of our profiles division. So I met him and he spoke about the vision. But what was the hook for me to come to WPP? As much as I understood what the group was trying to do, it was I felt a connection to Nick as a person. Mm-hmm. And it uh, and and that is a rule that I've actually learned. I have to pick people over, over job titles and descriptions. I just felt very connected to Nick and his vision and the type of person that he was. Mm-hmm. I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like Nick. Like right. that, that was really, <laughs> and what was supposed to be a half hour, 45 uh, minute meeting ended up being like two and a half hours. And I walked him to the F train uh, uh. and I was just like, this is it. I was like, this is the place I want to be. So came to Data Alliance and what Data Alliance, the the remit for Data Alliance was very much to bring together data partnerships Mm -hmm. so that we could bring those those, those data assets into WPP's decisioning systems. Mm -hmm. So what we we referred to as or had coined data destinations. Mm -hmm. So how do we bring data into the DMP over at Wonderman? How do we bring data into uh, pre-M platform and then into M platform? How do you bring data into there? How do we bring data into the panels for Cantor so that we could understand the 360 degree view of an audience so that we could reach them with the right message at the right time? Mm-hmm. So the first partnership that we put in place, lo and behold, was Twitter. <laughs> and then from there, we did DataSift. And then after right. that, it was Facebook. Initially, the team was based in New York. Okay. And but as the partnerships began growing, the benefit was really apparent. Right. There was a desire for us to branch out because we had also become, at that point in time, a center of excellence of how do you do data partnerships right. because created all these frameworks of this, how you do it, and this is what how we're going to evaluate partnerships. So we were able to do it at scale. So then after that, I helped support the the, the landing of or the expansion of Data Alliance in Cape, in South Africa mm. in uh, between Johannesburg and Cape, Cape Town. Right. So... We're like, it's working. And what was beneficial at that time, like Nick, his leadership uh, like has just been brilliant. He was like, if you've got an idea, just make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so came up with this entire structure of how we should do more expansion because we were getting folks from WPP, India, Indonesia, 
China, all over the world saying, we want DA, we, right. want, we want the firm to expand it to these regions because we want to, we want to not only leverage data for our decisioning systems, we also want to tell stories and we also want to have relationships across all of these portals. So, I mean, end to end at DA, we did over 22 partnerships with Spotify, Facebook, Twitter. Right. I mean, you name it, all the big ones. And there's like PR out that, that supports each one of those. So we began, so, so I started off as a director and then began doing these partnerships and then began doing expansion and then yeah. moved my way up from director to a global director to managing director and then to CEO in about three and a half-ish years. It was fast. It was fast. <laughs> but, you know, I think it was fast because it didn't feel like work. Right. It was just something that was so intuitive and so natural to what I wanted to do. And I was always... The environment that I was in, it was a fast failure, and there were failures. I mean, oh god! I, I mean, and uh, we were supposed to do a music partnership. Mm-hmm. Had this big session at Cannes and all this kind of great stuff, and uh, as we were about to go live with it, it just didn't work out. It, it died. Uh, the, the, I gave the analogy of you know you've operated someone and you're stitching them back up, right. and then they just flatline. Yeah, they flatline <laughs> the table. And I was like, oh my gosh, Martin Sorrell has been involved with this. I was like, I'm oh. done. I was like, I just packed my bags. And at the, at the time, the chief strategy officer, Scott Spirit, uh, was like, he was like, get over it. And that, that was some of the best advice I've ever right. received. I was like, what? He was like, you just get over it. He's like, you're working on this stuff, figure it out. And through the failure of that was the genesis of our relationship with Spotify, mm. which uh, like, I'm just so proud of the firm. Like, I, like, as I see them grow and I see them do well, like, I feel in a small way I've been able to contribute to that right. because the way that relationship even developed was one night in at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, myself and Pete, a uh, good guy, we're, like, we're going to collaborate. And a lot of these collaborations have come together because of passion. Right. Like, we, we, we've got a passion for the music. We've got passion for the industry. What can we do that was going to be cool and mm-hmm. collective? And then we end up being, like, launch partners out in Indonesia and in Asia and have done a variety of work since then. Interesting. So, yeah, that's how it all came together. Yeah, good. All right, so you, you, you're CEO of Data Alliance, and then now you're at Kantar. Yes. What happened? So with Data Alliance, um, the, the remit of Data Alliance grew as well. Mm-hmm. So outside of uh, data partnerships, we also became a consultancy where we were supporting our clients, mm-hmm. we were supporting our agencies, we were going out there winning pitches. We, were, right. we did this entire curriculum about data storytelling. So... Eventually, this idea of data, it's become commoditized, and that, that's a reality. And we were at a point in time where we're like, we've got, like, we've got a team in Indonesia, we've got a firm in uh, India, mm-hmm. South Africa, uh, UK, servicing Europe. And we were at, the mission was that we would upskill everyone and be able to have the center of excellence where everyone can now do it. Yeah. And we had scaled it. So then the next opportunity that came my way was... Like for me professionally as well, I wanted to be closer to the business mm. uh, because through DA, uh, I had the luxury of influencing over $200 million worth of data and technology right. spend. And wh- where are we going to leverage that? How are we going to leverage that? But I wanted to almost go back to my roots of being closer to the client. Right. Front of house. more Front of house, but also the, 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 the true spark. And I'll, I'll be very honest <laughs> in, this, uh, in this conversation. I was out in San Francisco last October. It was like September, October. Yeah. And I uh, was, was having uh, dinner with uh, some of my colleagues. Yeah. And, you, you know, the, 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 what, what they told me, we were just giving feedback on each right. other. And 
this one person who I absolutely adore said, well, yeah, you're the brown guy who does the data practice. And I appreciate the candor because I'm way more than that. that and right. I don't want to just be seen as that. Right. Because like I said, um, most people don't know my background. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't know I've been an actor. They don't know I've been a creative. Or people who do know I'm creative don't realize I'm very technically savvy. I can code. I can do whatever right. and move things. Like I, I can do both. So I was just I don't want to be pigeonholed as that. Right. And I've come. We've done our piece. You know, uh, at DA, we did uh, tens of millions of dollars worth of business where we support mm -hmm. the company, supporting pitches that well ran over a, well over a billion dollars and so forth. So I was like, I want to go into a role where, like initially, I was like more like chief marketing officer type thing. Mm -hmm. But growth theme seems to be the piece where you get to actually impact right. the end result. Yeah. So I came to Cantar coming out of the holding company, A, because I went with that principle of I'm picking people mm -hmm. over roles and descriptions and so forth. And at WPP, I had the, the, the luxury to be able to work across all the agencies and, and they're all fantastic. But the, the group that always has resonated with me the most has been Cantar. Mm -hmm. My first time meeting uh, the entire team at Mobile World Congress where we did all these events, to throughout to, to be connected to Eric. It is a culture where the people, they're just really. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Really nice and and i and I, I know that sounds really understated but <laughs> nice goes a really f oh, long, long way, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone feels very connected and everyone's very leaned in and people go the exit distance and i was like to be successful you have to be with people who you feel connected with right. and you have the same value set yeah. so came to Cantar very much based on that and now my role as i said like i feel like my superhero <laughs> name is agent of growth <laughs> and um and what growth means for us is it is it is broken out into two parts. One is, you know, how do we continue to grow the business? We're obviously in really exciting times now as Cantar, and there is a lot that counts. We are a data insights and consultancy firm. Mm -hmm. We do all three, and we do them well. We're a you know, $4 billion firm, so, so we're allowed to 30,000 employees, 30,000 team members, and there is so much that we can do and we should be doing. Mm -hmm. So it's how do we connect with our clients to help them see us in a new way and really bring forward our product and our service capabilities with this piece of not how can I do your measurement, but it's what are your business challenges and how can we help you with those? Right. And so it's it's really using, so that's the first piece. It's, you know, connecting up to see how we can continue to grow as a right. firm. But then the other side of that is almost the marketing piece. It's, how do we get Cantar engaged in the advertising community? Right. And it is a community because there are folks who are still not as clear about what our identity is. Right. There are folks who will know us as an operating brand such as Millwood Brown, which now we, we've merged all of our brands into one. Yep. And we are divisions rather than companies, and it's all under Cantar. Mm -hmm. 
And it's very much around, you know, how do we get Kantar, people talking about Kantar, how do we get involved in the narrative? So just recently, one of the pieces we did is, and once again, all the pieces that I come up with, it's from me being a consumer rather than anything else. Me, like that's how I tend to think about most things as a consumer. Yeah. What is it that I would care about and how can I translate that into business? So there's a lot right now about inclusion and diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a brown, Muslim, Indian, Pakistani, right. British dude <laughs> who is embodying that, yeah. uh, that has been part of my narrative. And connected up with the Adweek team with like Nadine and so forth. And we're like, you know, how do we connect on this? How do we get platforms to right. speak about the work that Kantar is doing? And just recently, we were able to be part of the uh, Women Trailblazers event yeah. where my colleague Mandy spoke about the inclusion index that uh, we've developed and we're looking at moving forward with and launching out into the industry. So it's how do we get Kantar uh, on top of mind mm-hmm. where people see us for what we truly are and see us for the full opportunity that we bring to the table. And that's what we've been doing over the last several months. It's been really exciting because when we talk about, you know, different thought leadership and so forth from doing getting gender right, which is Mm -hmm. one of the reports that we put together to, you know, putting out thought leadership on Muslim marketing, which most people know nothing about. There's 1.7 billion Muslims out there. It's an entire audience. How do we connect with them to, you know, what are uh, media trends that are going to occur in 2018, 2019 and so forth? It's bringing that to the forefront to really share the full suite of what Kantar can do and is willing to do mm-hmm. and also helping our clients reshape their perception of us. Right. And I'll, I'll say in the last few months, it's been really exciting because I've worked with clients where just recently, and I actually had to put a tweet up about this, where we had a creative session with a client where I we were trying to come up with a theme for our um, for the, the thought leadership that mm-hmm. we're doing. And it was one of those moments where I was just like, I was able to bring my full self into work, pain, angst, confusion, whatever right. it is, and be able to parlay that into the creative process. Mm-hmm. And when we did come up with the concept, there was like, everyone was roaring with cheers and laughter <laughs> and they were just riffing. And it was one of those moments where I was like, this is why I'm in this business. Right. Because it's bringing the, the creative together with the logical mm-hmm. and bringing this magic together and this tension together that provides benefit to our clients. Right, right. Well, you mentioned a couple of things I just want to key in on because um, maybe I, I, I share your pain to some <laughs> regards. You know, when you talked about the colleague, I guess, in, in the, the WPP session talking about you siloing you, right. so to speak, as a brand data right. guy. Obviously, from this discussion, right. listeners, you're going to hear you, you've You've done a lot, right. and and you're almost. I usually don't use this term lightly, so uh, and we just know each other right. now. Yes, but I think I've, I'm okay using this term. I think I think you're a little bit of a renaissance man. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I, 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 will, I will try to live up to that. So I mean, but you you know, if you think about it, you you understand the technical aspects, the data. You have obviously great communication ability and see connections right. between the art or the creative aspects and the data yeah. side. Those types of people, and I, I do think I'm in that space with you, uh, they're misunderstood in business. Or I guess as corporations get bigger and bigger, we look for people to fill holes right. in very specific ways. Um, but I'm, I'm encouraged to see that you found a great place where you can spread out. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think a lot of the credit of that, it does go to WPP because I, I came in from a financial services background, yeah. uh, which is 
diametrically opposite to advertising. When I first day at the job, I w- walked into a WPP at 7 a.m. because that's what I was used to. Right. <laughs> and I wore a full-on suit and tie and because that's what I was used right. to. But what I really found in, and it's really counterintuitive to what people believe is the advertising industry. Yeah. The amount of humility that I've, I've been fortunate enough to come across mm. Uh, people are very well-versed, they're very well-educated, but they're also well-traveled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been fortunate to come across people who aren't boastful in their accomplishments. Right. And that has been my experience, and I can only uniquely speak to that and authentically speak to that. But it's, I think, what WPP has allowed me to do truly. I mean, WPP has changed my life. I'll, I'll be the first to say it. <laughs> All the way, I mean, I was this kid raised in Wembley to going to Cannes. I mean, it's been right. like there are there there have been many mic drop moments in my life <laughs> as a result of the work I've, I've been able to do. Right, and I, I think as I was ready to graduate on and take on more, the firm has been more than willing to do that, and I've been very fortunate. No, that's great. That's great. And, and so the second piece I wanted to kind of key in on, and this may lead to the next mm-hmm. question, but is Kantar. I think the first, my first interaction with them was probably, gosh, like 12 or 13 years ago. Right. I was at Dell um, as an intern right. and they were using Kantar data right. because of the, I guess, the, the POS data that right. you track in, in certain, in, especially in the technology right. space. And then uh, flash forward a little bit further, I start a, a brand consultancy right. and I run across, we're walking down the Campbell soup halls and I run across uh, people from Vermeer. Yes. <laughs> and, and doing great work around marketing effectiveness right. um, and capability building hmm. work. Um, and then they get scooped up by Kantar um, right. and the Millward Brown were competing with on the research right. side. They, they're obviously Kantar. Right. And so there's got these great assets right. that you're bringing together. And I am not sure Maybe Nielsen would be the next person that would have that diverse of an asset base, but I don't even think that they necessarily have the consulting aspect. They, they don't have the consulting aspect. And I think with Kantar, I mean, we're also we're a global currency in a right. lot of these pieces around measurement, all the way down to our profiles division, that's 88 million opted in profiles right. and so forth. We're a global currency and we're able to do end to end. And I would have to say that the work that Kantar is doing is just so thoughtful and meaningful, especially... Mm-hmm. Like at, at Cannes, we just did this whole thing about um, getting media right, but also gender and the role that that plays. Right. And well, there was a thought leadership piece around what women want. Mm-hmm. But it's taking those ideas and bringing them to brands so that their brands can truly take action on it. Right. And it's just, you know, we, we had this thing called Follow the Sun uh, where we do our town halls and we had to all speak about things that we're proud of. Mm-hmm. And most people, when they were giving their reflections, it's the inclusive culture. It's about... The, the work that we're doing that is meaningful and resonant mm-hmm. in, in the world that we live in today. Right. So I think that culture is building internally and there's such an energy that we're now, we've always been and even more so now taking it to our clients right. uh, from automotive to FMCG to fashion. There's just so much happening at the firm and there's this unparalleled energy, right. which was for me pleasantly surprising because I had my own preconceived <laughs> notions coming in from the holding company and yeah. you think you know a firm until you actually get there but it's just the opportunities and how leaned in the team is it's been brilliant. Right, right. Well, that, that brings us to the current state of Kantar, which um, WPPs and it sounds like exclusive talks with uh, Bain to sell 60% roughly, Correct. a majority share right. of some sort. And WP, I, I, my understanding from reading the news is that they want to maintain a 40% Correct. share. So it's not 
a divestiture. It's more of a, a recapitalization, yeah, actually, as a way to look at it. Absolutely. And I think for what that really means for us, like we said, we're in these exclusive talks. But what that really means is the relationship with WPP continues. Right. I think that that's the first thing to really take note of. And we've got strong relations. Literally, I just did a piece with Group M with Akili right. Taylor where I did a live interview on LinkedIn. So our relationship across the network continues to be as strong as it is. Yeah. So. I mean, 40% is still a big number. Right. But then what it also means is that there's going to be new investment in areas of technology and data and so forth that are going to help propel the firm further. Mm. Earlier, as we spoke, like I said, this is my second time being in a situation with PE and so forth. Yeah, first was with TransUnion. Right. Uh, when I first started at TransUnion, they're a billion-dollar firm. Today, they're at $14 billion. Mm. So these types of structures, they actually do work out well for businesses themselves. I mean, if in five, 10 years from now, we can say that Kantar has had 140% growth, right? that is a fantastic story. Yeah. So I think it's exciting times. The, the future only knows what the future only knows. <laughs> right. Right. But but for everyone involved, and just truly on a ground level, you come through three World Trade Center, there is a lot of excitement mm-hmm. about the work that we're doing because I think at the end of the day, that's what folks are focused on. Right. It, it's the work, it's the clients, it is this renewed sense of energy that is really driving people forward. Right, right. Well, we definitely, um, I'll try to link to some of the reports you mentioned. Right. The, oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. Getting gender right and yes. marketing to Muslims. Uh, yeah. You know, the, all of that sounds really intriguing. And to your point, more on the applied side, right? right? Like, how do I actually make use of this and that, information? That is really the key because I think without the application, it doesn't do anything. Right. It's just a piece that out there It's good to know about. Like for Kanta, our value proposition is it's telling these stories to really inform decisions around marketing, around do yourself branding, uh, effectiveness, measurement. How should we be doing things so that we can ultimately get growth right. as a business? Right. Well, so I, I do want to switch gears a little bit. We've we, Although we've been talking about you this entire time, <laughs> I want to get a little deeper about the personal side. Of oh, you. gosh. So um, I don't know how much besides time acting, oh, besides God. acting, I guess. So I love asking this question is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? There are multiple experiences. And I, I am going to take a bit of a step back here because I would say what has shaped me, and I'll be very honest in this is, so I was born and raised in the UK in Wembley, mm-hmm. and uh, my father passed away when I was very young, and my mother was widowed at 28 with five children oh, wow. between three years of age and me being the youngest to my older sister who was nine years of age. So that experience, and we went from being this family of haves to a family of have-nots. Right. So that experience, so that life event, I would say, has definitely changed the, the course of, of how I think about life. And I would say in that, as the experiences I've learned, more so for my mom, who has done every job under the face of the planet, from making 3,000 samosas a week to send to Chesington Zoo to stuffing envelopes, that the, the big piece that she has modeled and has said is that we all form. What defines us is the grace and speed by which we get up. I would say that is probably mm. the largest lesson I've had in, from a learning. And I would say... The other one from a personal perspective is from my paternal grandmother, who just a very wise, very direct woman, I'd have to say, <laughs> and uh, very aware of the world. And she, uh, there was a point in time in life when, 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 when you're down, people tend to discount you. Mm. And that's just life. And I remember being, I don't know, like I was in America, so I was probably about 13 or 14. I came home with my report card or some honor roll, this, that, and the other. And someone was disparaging about being on honor roll because sadly, in Indian and Pakistani culture, there sometimes is a tendency to treat children without a father 
as lesser than. Mm. It's sadly part of the culture, which I do feel like is changing. And my grandmother in Urdu, uh, which is uh, our mother tongue, mm-hmm. said, which means never discount a person today because tomorrow they may become a tornado. Wow. And it was, it just really sank with me because yeah. I was just like, you know, who we are today doesn't guarantee who we're going to be tomorrow, but good or for better. Right. So I'd say th- those are some of the personal experiences yeah. that have definitely shaped me. I think professionally, I've had a lot. And I, I'll give you the top ones from some of the places yeah, I've worked. Yeah. I'd say at TransUnion, the, 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 the two main lessons I learned. First one is, and I always say this to, uh, to, to, to my good friend and my colleague, Michelle Sims. She was my first manager. <laughs> and uh, she embodied living by example. Mm. She would never ask someone to do something that she couldn't or wouldn't do herself from cleaning out a cubicle when someone would leave to what we'd call cut dumps where you'd like have to QC code. She did all of it. So that was the first thing I learned is that you have to always put your money where your mouth is. And also at TransUnion, and I'll be very candid, I also learned a lot about who I didn't want to be because you do see characters that you're like, that is just not, that does not resonate with me. Right. So, and I think that's a really important lesson as well. For so sure. I said th- that was the big piece at TU. And I think at, at American Express, it was just believe the sky is the limit because at Amex, just the brilliance of the people, and I'll always say that, it was you just have to push yourself. And I actually once had, um, during my Northwestern graduation, uh, the CEO of, um, oh God, uh, Jenny Rometty. Yeah. She said, growth and comfort never come in the same sentence. And when you have to pick one, <laughs> pick growth. <laughs> And that is American Express. You're always growing. And then I'd say when I think about WPP in terms of like people have been very kind to me. Mm -hmm. um, And I would have to say when I think about a person or a lesson that I've learned most, uh, I have to give tribute to to Nick Nyhan who brought me in, who saw the potential in me, who believed in me, who invested in me. And even till this day is an amazing champion. He embodied stepping aside so that I could step forward Mm -hmm. and pushing me forward. And I'm going to tell you a little anecdote about how I ended up at Cannes the first time around. Yeah. And like I said, I was a boy born and raised in Wembley, right. which <laughs> some people would consider rough, but to me it is where I'm from. So right. W4 Wembley <laughs> and um, love what it ha- who it has made me. And uh, I remember Martin had come to us and he was like, you know, we're doing top tops at Cannes. Tell us our strategy. Who should we be talking to? What we should be saying? And because I was director of partnerships, I like I created these briefs and I was sitting down with Nick in a conference room saying, this is what we're doing and all right. this sort of stuff. And just very casually, he was like, well, since you know it so well, you should go. <laughs> and at this point in time, I had only met uh, Martin Sorrell maybe once and I had briefly engaged with uh, Mark Reed at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, no, Nick. I was just like, he doesn't know me. I don't know him. Can I mean, I've only seen it on MTV. And I like flipped <laughs> out. So I had to beg him to come. And I was like, can we at least split them up? Because if it doesn't go well, at least you can step right. in. Right. But can, I mean, it was such, a, it's, even till this now, it's a very prestigious event. Mm-hmm. And to go to the south of France and everything that you think it to be, it's that plus more. But to be given that opportunity, and I remember after that week of top to tops, as we call them, walking down at the Croissant and just thinking, oh, my God, like I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> but, uh, so I've been really fortunate that throughout my career, there have been more people who have believed in me and supported me and taught me mm-hmm. than not. Right. Right. That's fantastic. And 
I love this. Thank you for sharing the story about your, your mom and your paternal grandmother. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Great, strong ladies in your background. They are. And I think, you know, like, like, like I said, like I, I'm always thinking about things as a person and as a consumer. Right. So even our engagement with Ad Week, like everyone's talking about women of color. I saw my mom, a woman of color in the 80s in, in London yeah. when racism was at its highest, where we literally had rubbish pushed down our mailbox and set on fire. Um, so, so I've lived it, right. you know, I've seen it. And, and I think it's great that we as a society are finally at a place where we are commemorating that, mm-hmm. but I've experienced, it. I've got four older sisters and I see their plight and I see how far they've come and what they've had to mm-hmm. overcome right. as immigrants, as people of color, as people of different heritages. I mean, because I think what people don't really understand about immigrants is for me, for example, I've been raised with in India and Pakistan from the 1960s and fifties, mm-hmm. what my parents knew, but yet Indian Pakistan has progressed right. or that it's evolved from the 1950s and 60s. But yet I had to be just as American or just as English right. as the people, as my contemporaries. So it was balancing both. And it's it's reconciling those two every day from, you know, food you should eat. Uh, are you allowed to date? Are you not? Right. Uh, I mean, I can, can I ask to go to a dance or not? But it's reconciling the two. And I think having lived it and seen it and been part of that narrative it's really important for us as a firm and even as brands to be part of that i'm just thrilled that the platform is finally here that we can speak about these things right, right. well um what advice would you give to your younger self you're, you're relatively young <laughs> so maybe we're not going back that far i, I don't think know. it's good genes i think it's good genes <laughs> i think it's turkish burmese and you can still be that actor <laughs> i think the face sheets would be great oh, maybe maybe <laughs> under my card of ethically ambiguous <laughs> What advice would I give my younger self? Oh my goodness, that is actually a really good question. What I would tell my younger self is you have to find balance. Mm. You, I, I, I would reiterate a lot of what I've done. You know, you've got to believe in what you do. You've got to have passion because passion is the differentiator mm. uh, in career, in life. People with pa- I've seen more smart people fail than passionate and hard workers. That would be the other thing. Just continue to try harder mm. and push for more. Got it. Well, what what keeps you going today? What fuels you? What fuels me uh, is what has fueled me throughout my life. I'd say it is the I've I've been I've been hungry for experience, just different types of experiences. You know, people say you know when you pass away, your life flashes be, uh, before your eyes. My response to that is when my life flashes before my eyes, that that better be a lifetime in its own <laughs> because I want to experience so much from, you know, having hiked up on the Himalayas to get, riding elephant back in Rajasthan to being out in New Zealand to swimming with sharks in the Maldives to holding a lion in South Africa. I want that plus more. Mm. And so it's the experience of having life that is worth living mm. because it doesn't come back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Right, right. That's great advice. Um, and then... Kind of to we'll end on two kind of marketing related questions, I guess. You know, stepping back, are, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow you think other people should take notice of? And I realize this is a hard question to ask a professional services person. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, I'm going to speak about it as a consumer, right? Yeah. Because I think above all, that, that's, that's what great. we are. So, so as a consumer, brands yeah. I follow, yeah, and I, I'll break it out into like two categories. Like I say, platform, non-platform. Yeah. From platform perspective, I love Twitter because it gets mm. the word out. I love, love, love Instagram. <laughs> because I, I just love the content and it's just such a seamless experience that I must look forward to the content. Yeah. And just recently I've been getting on a fitness kick where like folks such as like uh, fitness influencer like Julian Smith or Don Saladino or Milestone Strength, they've brought these personalities into my life 
in such a, as intimate strangers where I feel motivated yet aspirational. Yeah. So love Instagram. I would also say, of course, WhatsApp is great for connecting, but mm. I would say those three are like the real big ones from like, which, which keep my communication right. set going from a branding perspective. Uh, as of late, I've really been feeling the environment. So I've given, I don't use any straws. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen a lot of videos with yeah. like, uh, you know, turtles with straw stuck up their nose. Like, I, like the environment for me now is definitely top of mind. So I'm all about brands that are environmentally friendly, but I would say also there are brands that have really attracted me, such as I'd say like Bonobos, mm-hmm. uh, love clothing, as you can tell, right. um, you know, I love the work that Andy Dunn has done with the, with the brand, even since they've been part of Walmart. Um, but their campaigns are just so compelling mm. and they're so inclusive and so diverse. And, it, you know, like they've, they've leveraged men and women in their campaigns in such different, unique ways. So I'd say that's Bonobos is big for me. Banana Republic, which <laughs> when I was 16, 17, I was, I'm going to become the CMO of Banana Republic. That, that was the goal. <laughs> Lo- just love the brand and love the clothing. And I would actually have to say, just from an aspirational perspective, I've always loved Nike. Yeah. It's it's the work that they're doing today is great, but as a twelve year old in right. Wembley, when we couldn't afford Nike Air Max nineties, I was obsessed and always wanted them. And now I'm able to have a couple of pairs. But I think Nike has just been one of those pieces that has always been with me, and right. I like the work that they're doing. They stand for something, right? Right, and they stand out for sure. That they do. So so yeah. So I think from a consumer perspective, those are the brands. And actually, I would have to say Spotify. Yeah. A, they've just made music globally accessible and I love music. And I also just like how easy the user experience is. As a brand, right. I feel connected to them from, I mean, who would have thought they have prayers on, on Spotify, but they do. <laughs> they have gospel right. on Spotify and they have music on Spotify. So I just Podcast love it. Podcasts on Spotify. They, they have podcasts on Spotify. <laughs> I mean, just recently yeah. they launched in India. Uh, I, I remember, and I actually just shot some of the, the, the team at Spotify. I know I remember connecting up with uh, like Daniel Eck. Uh, a couple of years back as we were saying like how India is so important for us and to finally see Spotify go live with a commercial with Anil Kapoor was like, I'm like, man, like it's wow. finally happened. And it's, so yeah, I'd wow. say brands like that. Go for it. And I'd say the last brand that really comes top of mind for me is a brand called Crap Protect and, and the, the boys from Wembley who created the world's largest shoe cleaning brand, which is now everywhere. I think that the mission of the brand and how it started is probably why, why I'm closest to it. Uh, but, you know, they've really just their ad campaigns and they're, they're a small shop, but now they're, you know, I think lost as a privately held company, they've done 127 million in sales or something to that wow. nature. But they've been really close to their urban base and mm. they understand that market and they've just grown it internationally. So I'd say a crep protect, crep means shoes in, in, in urban <laughs> English in, in the UK. I'd say that's a brand that really following and I'm just inspired by them. That's amazing. Well, where do you see the future of marketing? Where do I see the future of marketing? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. I would say, the, the I mean, to me, marketing is storytelling and mm-hmm. it's going to continue. I would say it's who tells the best stories and how can we, and it has to be done in a way where stories are suggestive and not selling. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's going to be a bigger platform play. And I think, obviously, we're, we're moving towards more video. I think the content of advertising is going to continue to become more diverse. I think there's more that can be done, but I think we're going to see a lot of players coming from the East into the West. Mm -hmm. We've already seen the emergence of TikTok and so forth, and we've seen some collaborations with Alibaba. And I I think we are, I I think marketing is going to be more of a global 
play where it's bringing different cultures together and it's going to be helping brands find new audiences which i think are going to be in latam in in africa which we're seeing as a growing market rapidly right. growing all the way out to the far east right. so i think advertising is going to be there there's going to be a, a stronger technology play storytelling is still going to be there it's going to be who's going to be the best storyteller right. and who's going to be the more most authentic and i think there's going to be a shift towards focusing on new audiences in the growth markets out east and in africa and latin america love it well thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for having me it's been fun hi it's alan again marketing today was created and produced by me if you're new to marketing today please feel free to write us a review on itunes or your favorite listening platform don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.